listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Today, as we close out the summer, we're doing a deep dive into the Canadian wealth and asset management sector, looking at how both the banks and the independents are positioned. This episode is based on an in-front report titled Canadian Wealth and Asset Management, Banks versus Independence, published in early July. I'm Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research, and I am joined by Tom McKinnon, BMO Capital Markets Insurance, Asset Management and Diversified Financial Analyst, and Saurabh Movahidi, BMO Capital Markets Bank Analyst. Tom and Saurabh, I'm pleased to welcome you both back to our Intune podcast. Tom, let's start with a brief overview of the Canadian Investment Funds Marketplace. Can you set the stage for us? Yeah, thanks, Camille. It's a mature and saturated marketplace. Uh, Despite favorable equity markets, uh, Canadian investment funds are actually modestly slowing. From 2010 to 2015, and a time when the markets were generally flat, the total investment fund AUM CAGR in Canada was over 10%. So based on that, you would think every time the markets are better than flat, we're going to get better than 10% growth in assets. Well, that's not been the case. Over about from 2017 all the way through to May 2021, we had much better markets. They were up 6% on a CAGR basis, but the investment funds were only up 9 So a slower growth despite much better markets. If we took out the impact of ETFs and looked at strictly, strictly mutual funds, that growth would have even been slower. And another metric would be investment funds as a percentage of, or investment flows, pardon me, as a percentage of average AUM. Uh, Between 2012 and 2015, that was 4%. 2016 to 2020, that slowed down to 2%. We obviously have fee compression across um, all active and passive ETFs, as well as all uh, mutual fund series. And one might say, hey, we had strong flows of late, but that's, in our opinion, kind of more free money from government relief programs and nowhere to spend it. And we don't see uh, uh, these unusual market or economic events as uh, uh, suggesting anything different uh, in terms of the long-term trends that we're seeing in the Canadian mutual funds marketplace. Interesting. Thanks for that, Tom. So, Saurabh, this is a mature and saturated marketplace. So what is it about the Canadian banks that are making them outperform the independent fund companies? You know, the banks lead in terms of AUM. They continue to grow market share. And we would broadly attribute this to their inherent distribution advantages as well as uh, pricing advantages. They continue to outperform the independents in terms of uh, gross and uh, net sales. No, it's no surprise to us that the wealth management segments of the Canadian banks continue to outpace, outpace the Canadian independents. You know, namely here, we're thinking of AGF, CI, IGM in terms of revenue growth and earnings growth. Largely because this is a business where size and scale have always been and are increasingly important. And so with the distribution advantages and pricing advantages, not to mention the attractive economics of the branch advice channel. Uh, The banks are well-positioned and uh, well-positioned, in our opinion, to continue to outperform 
uh, the independent uh, fund companies. So I'm curious about the distribution advantage for the banks. Tom, what is the primary distribution channel of the independents and how does that compare to the banks? And why are the independents at a bit of a disadvantage here? Yeah, the, the independents primarily rely on the financial advisor channel. Uh, so they've got one channel they predominantly use and the banks have all kinds of channels. They've got uh, uh, increasing command in the full service broker channel. They've got the branch advice channel, a branch direct channel, substantial presence in private wealth management channel, as well as online and discount brokerage channels. So one more channels. Second, more growth in their channels. Um, the, uh, the financial advice channel that the independents use or financial advisor channel the independents use is the slowest growing of all the channels in terms of um, wealth management assets. Uh, certainly slower growing than branch advice or branch direct or full service broker. And uh, investor economics forecasts the full service broker channels to each outpace the financial advisor channel in terms of growth and total financial wealth assets in Canada for the next 10 years. So a second is better growth. The third is they got more chance for you know money in motion. The financial advisor channel, pr- virtually all the assets that they would manage would be you know mutual funds or ETF assets. So yeah, uh, whereas that compares to about two thirds of the assets that the branch advice channel uh, that are in mutual funds or ETFs, one third for the full service broker channel, and less than one quarter for the branch direct channel. So they have a lot more opportunities for money in motion here. Uh, so given that, you know, they've, to summarize, they got faster growing channels, they've got more channels, and they got more opportunities for money in motion. So, you know, that tends to be their, their distribution advantage. So Saurabh, can you walk us through the expansion of the bank branch advice and the branch direct channels, which really do appear to be game changers for the banks? Yeah, so, you know, when we think about the banks, the big six banks in Canada, obviously, you know, five, 6,000 branches, nearly 8,000 dedicated advisors. They really do have the advantage through the various branch supplied early detection mechanisms. And they obviously use this to easily pinpoint clients with uh, emerging investment needs. Um, Tom mentioned a variety of uh, different channels. You know, this branch-based channel helps attract and retain clients in the what we will refer to as the growing mass affluent cohort. So think of these as investable assets between 100000 and uh, a couple of million dollars. Not quite large enough to attract the attention of the full service brokerage, but certainly a lot of money uh, to, to be managed through the branch advice channel. So with a focus on financial advice involving both sides of the client's balance sheet, uh, both the investments and the uh, savings. You know, the branch advisor addresses investment needs with predominantly pre-assembled advice solutions, so like wrap uh, mutual funds. So when you take this, you combine it with the attractive economics of the branch advice channel as as a delivery channel. So remember, these would be largely employees of the banks, really predominantly salary-based with some degree of variable compensation but nothing like the commission structure of a full-service brokerage. Um, and then they are distributing proprietary funds. So the banks have the both the manufacturing and the distribution uh, advantage 
uh, both in terms of um, um, profitability and touch and and uh, access to the clients. So this is a very attractive and rapidly growing channel for them uh, when it comes uh, to the mass market part of the equation. Thank you, Saurabh. So the case has been made that the banks have an advantage in terms of distribution and pricing. Tom, how has this advantage been reflected in the P&L? Well, two ways. One is revenue growth and the other one is earnings growth. So if you want to look at the, the bank's wealth management segments, their average revenue CAGR from 2010 through to 2020 has been 10%. If you want to look at IGM's uh, revenue CAGR over that same time period, and I'm going to take out their investments in China, AMC, and their investments in Great West. Uh, if you look at it on that basis, that revenue CAGR has been 2%. It's been 2% for CI, and it's been negative 2 for AGF. So they're certainly outpacing them in terms of revenue. And, we, and that was 2010 to 2020. If we looked at the years 2015 to 2020, we'd even see a bigger differential. If you want to look at earnings growth, take the Canadian uh, bank's wealth segments in terms of earnings growth. That's been a 12% CAGR from 2010 to 2020. If you want to look at the independents, it's been flat to low single digits. And uh, we see certainly see that outperformance trend continuing through 2022. Uh, the only one that would have a little bit higher than the banks through 2022 is just CI, but that's just because they're making acquisitions in the U.S. that are accretive. So, uh, um, you know, if we're looking at the P&L, it's the banks have been significantly outpacing uh, the independents as far as their wealth management segments growth in terms of both revenue and earnings. So you both made the case at this point that the Canadian banks are well positioned with good growth in Canadian wealth and asset management. Sorab, what's their strategy going forward? Yeah, we see the Canadian banks obviously continuing to reap the benefits of their existing uh, distribution network advantages, but we see them also continuing to make investments in uh, new wealth and advice kind of technologies and offerings that will appeal uh, to the next generation. Uh, right. So while supply of um, potential acquisition targets may be limited, we do see the Canadian banks as financially and strategically kind of well positioned to be the near uh, to be near the top of the preferred bidders for any certainly any domestic acquisition opportunities, either in wealth or asset management that uh, present present themselves. You know, some banks would also strategically benefit from introducing more fee-like revenue streams into the mix. Here I'm thinking specifically of a bank like TD. It has uh, the well-established omni-channel retail banking model with branches at the core, for example. It has the most capital flexibility of its domestic peers. And, you know, in our opinion, quite candidly, can use the revenue diversification benefits of wealth. Even if there is goodwill involved in wealth acquisitions, the subsequent growth, I think Tom mentioned, and once you've, you've got it plugged into your distribution network, the subsequent growth for a bank is very ROE accretive. 
because uh, that growth is not balance sheet or capital intensive. So uh, we think the banks uh, will be acquirers to the extent that opportunity presents itself. But we think we're, they're also going to continue to make investments to appeal to the next generation beyond the existing uh, channels. So, Tom, where does this leave the independents? What should they do? Yeah, if you want to stay in Canada and you want to grow organically, you're going head-to-head against the banks, and we've already listed out the advantages they have. Uh, you can you can acquire, but that has challenges as well. You know, we said availability is limited and it's a concentrated market. And a growth or acquisition strategy can be pricey, uh, not to mention one that needs a clear strategy other than just to cut costs. If you're looking to try to uh, grow wealth management in Canada through acquisitions, you know, that can be pricey too, and uh, even more pricier than growing asset management business in Canada. And uh, if you're going to try to augment the lower uh, margins in wealth management um, through an AUA to AUM strategy, that can be hit and miss. So maybe you look to the U.S. If you want to go asset management in the U.S., well, you're going head to head with the big U.S. banks and the larger U.S. asset managers, and that can pose all kinds of new challenges. Or maybe you look to go into the U.S. in terms of um, wealth management as opposed to asset management. Uh, you know, there, there's better opportunities there. there there's uh, higher margins on pure play wealth management operations of the U.S. guys versus the Canadians. But you're going to be competing against some of the well-established broker-dealers with a sizable scale advantage um, in the U.S., the only one that looks sometimes attractive is the U.S. Registered Investment Advisor or the U.S. RAA channel. That's three and a half times the size of the entire Canadian investment fund market. It's very fragmented and it's faster growing. Um, and if you can uh, make acquisitions there at a 10 to 12 times EBITDA and get EBITDA margins in the 30 to 40 percent range, then that might be a, a reasonable strategy. We're seeing CI embark on that now and it seems to be uh, at least successful uh, off the bat. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today on Canadian wealth management. Tom and Saurabh, thank you both for joining us. That was Tom McKinnon, BMO Capital Markets Insurance, Asset Management and Diversified Financials Analyst, and Saurabh Movahidi, BMO Capital Markets Bank Analyst. BMO Capital Markets is proud to be able to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming sector trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or Visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.